this week on One on One. So for me, the transition to Purdue was just an adjustment in my game. And Coach Katie didn't coach me hard. He coached basketball, and he was a great teacher. And I thought one of the things that he, he had power, but he had a tremendous amount of compassion that went with it. Because if you're not in position to help somebody else or create opportunities, then I didn't do a very good job of putting you in position to do that. Mom and dad passed the baton to me. I got to pass this baton on, and we cannot drop the baton. On my tombstone, I wanted to say East St. Louis somewhere. I want to be a part of the change. So now my sleep is better because I know I've helped the less fortunate people in those socioeconomic areas that struggle. I've, I was a part of the system. Conzo Martin shares how he leads on and off the court and how he sets his players up for success beyond basketball, his commitment to inspiring social reform. Plus, he reminisces about his playing days at Purdue, college basketball Hall of Famer Gene Cady, and what his hometown of East St. Louis means to him. Now, here's Kevin. Very happy to be joined by Conzo Martin, head men's basketball coach at the University of Missouri, former Purdue star, East St. Louis native, and shout out to Lincoln High during your your high school playing days. Coach, very generous of you to take some time out to talk. I, we only get to see each other maybe once or twice a year when I have you guys on my schedule, but uh, our, our visits are always great. I, I always leave our conversations feeling inspired and motivated, and, and I, you do that to many more important people than just me. So thank you again for taking some time out. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your schedule to allow me to visit with you. I don't take that for granted. I say former Purdue star, you shared a great story, I think the last time we saw each other a few months ago, if not for the wisdom, uh, simple but profound wisdom of your, your mother, Sandra, it was, it was almost former UConn star. Yes. <laughs> How yes, close? Well, you know, really, it, 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 it probably would have been Illinois if those NCAA situ- situations didn't take place. And I don't know if they even received sanctions back in that between 88, 89, somewhere around there with the Deion Thomas situation, who's a, who's a good guy and a great player. So so then when that happened, I opened up my recruiting and it came down to Purdue in, in, in Connecticut. And, and really my mom simply said, because there were so many unknowns and all she wanted to do was put her son in a great situation. I think what, what Coach Katie said more than anything, uh, and, and it's too, Amongst other things, he said, um, if he go to class every day, he'll get, he'll get a degree. And if he work hard, he'll play. And, and my mom just, and she liked it, again, Purdue and Connecticut, but she just felt like she said, I think Purdue is a good place for you. And that's, that's what happened. And you heeded the advice. You guys won a couple of Big Ten titles when you were there. And you've talked with so much respect towards Gene Cady. Um, he is someone who is so influential in your life. I guess as a substitute to... And why not? He is a college basketball Hall of Famer. As a substitute to asking, you know, what makes him such a great coach? I'm curious, how did he motivate you? What did he draw out of you that made you a better player and then person as well? Well, I think, um, you know, on the surface, coach looked like a tough guy. Now, he was a tough guy from the standpoint. That's who he was. That was his nature, not just because he coached. He played football and did a lot of things, worked extremely hard and made himself into a great coach. Uh, I think the thing that that helped me, because, again, I came from East St. Louis, and my high school coach, Benny Lewis, is a legend in his own right, one of the, the better high school coaches in all of high school basketball, let alone the state of Illinois. Won four state championships, had great players, great tradition. 
So for me, the transition to Purdue was just an adjustment in my game, an adjustment in culture and different environment. But I was coached well and I was coached. I guess some people would call it being coached hard, because, but, but I never thought it was being coached hard when, when a coach asks you to do something. It's just they demand you to do that in order for you to be successful. And, and my mom taught me a level of respect and understand that. So when people say the, the coaches demand or they coach you hard, I never really understood what that means unless he's critical and, and he's demeaning you. So, so other than that, Coach Katie didn't coach me hard. He coached basketball, and he was a great teacher. And I thought one of the things that he he had, he had a, he had power, but he had a tremendous amount of compassion that went with it. And I think oftentimes we have people that have power, and if they don't have the compassion that goes with it, I think that's when the problems occur. And I thought Coach, on the surface, though he looked tough and he was mean and demanding, he really wasn't. He was, and I say this respectfully. He was a teddy bear. And, and what I meant by that, when you got to know him and you understood what he expected of you as a player, he was fun to be around. And, and, and again, I never had problems with him. Uh, but, I, but I thought he had the power, but he had the compassion to go with it. I watched it. It was sort of a coach's roundtable that he did several years ago at this point. And I know you two stay in constant communication even to this day. But he said, of all the players that I coached, the, the best leader of all of the players that I coached was Hands down, Conzo, no doubt about it. He said he would, you know, halftime, he'd have to get his staff. we got to go over X, Y, Z. they get into the locker room, and he said, you know, Conzo had everybody straightened out. First off, where did you get those leadership qualities at that point in your life? I think the, the, the easiest answer, uh, not to sound like a cliche, I think God, first and foremost, because it's not as if I set out to say I want to be a great leader, you know, just – you find your way in life. And, and I think outside of God, the blueprint was my mom, whatever, whatever that was. It wasn't as if she talked about be a great leader every day. It was just the everyday habits and the disciplines. But I think what my mom taught me more than anything, even with my elementary, middle school, and high school coaches, what those guys did a great job of teaching teams and values, understand that part. So I was never a selfish player. And I've always applauded if I had a teammate that was a great score and baseball was a great hitter. We, we encouraged that. Like, for example, I played with Alfonso Ellis in high school. was, a, in, in my opinion, the best high school player I've ever seen. Um, but was a great teammate, a guy with a tremendous amount of compassion for his teammates, wanted to see his teammates be successful. We, we, we looked forward to him scoring 40 and 50 points. When I went to college, I played with Glenn Robinson, another great player. And we, we one game, we were fighting to get him 50 points. We, we were trying to get him 50 points. So, I, so I've never been a guy that was jealous of another guy's success. I applaud that and I appreciate that because all I cared about was winning and the camaraderie of a team. And, you know, people say brotherhood and we family in the locker rooms. But, but, but being a family, there still have to be some, some tough times when you're talking about being a family. I think we were able to do that, but understand, let's put this to the side and take care of the task at hand. But, I, but I've, I've just always been a guy that, all I cared about was winning and being a part of the team and having success because I've always felt like when we have success, we all can get what we're trying to get out of life or we all can get where we're trying to go. Coach, by the way, you, you darn near did it when you talk about getting the big dog to 50 points a game. We averaged, what was it, 30 a game? You guys went to the yeah, Elite yeah, Eight. You won a Big Ten title. And how in the world did, did Glenn Robinson in the Big Ten average 30 a game? And that is not even an exaggeration. I think it was like 30 and change a night. Yes, I think he's. Uh, I think he's probably the last guy to do it at, at this level. He has thirty and ten, and maybe around two two block shots, somewhere around two block shots, somewhere around two steals. Uh, he was just. A, he was a tremendous scorer, man. He, he was relentless with it. But it, but the thing about Glenn, I think, was separate him from a lot of guys at that time. 
he practiced hard. And it, and it wasn't as if Coach Katie had to say, come on, Glenn, practice hard. He competed, and, and, and it meant something to him every night out to try to be a great player, to take care of the task at hand. And I, I think one of the things that made him special, I'll give you a story. We played at Michigan, because Michigan, Michigan came to our place and beat us, and we had to go to that place to win the conference, so to speak. But there was one time Glenn, Glenn was struggling with his three-point shot, though he was on the ball. And then Coach said to him, don't, don't shoot any threes this game. And the next game was Michigan. But he was five for five from the three-point line. So it just it, – it wasn't as if he was just saying the heck with you, Coach. That's just who he was. When he stepped on the floor, he was playing a basketball game, and he flowed into it, and he played with a great spirit. And that's what made him special. I can't do this with you not bring up 94, Sweet 16. You and, you and Big Dog dropped. I think it was 75 combined against Kansas. You went for 45. You went for 30. That was, that was a successful night. Beautiful night. You know, just, uh, it just, but again, it, the, the shots were falling. And, and I, I used to really say to him, man, because I enjoy playing defense. And it got to a point really going into my junior year coach would say you really need to look at scoring the basketball because I just took a tremendous amount of pride in defending and playing hard. And again, whatever it took to win games, but coach said, we need you to score the ball. So my junior year, I really started to score the ball. But I would simply say to Glenn, because we were roommates also, man, I'm over here if you need me. I mean, just, I mean, do what you do because he could score the ball. And, and we had a team that didn't mind him scoring the basketball. We, we looked forward to it and uh, he took pride in doing it. We're talking about all these great friends of yours, former teammates that are great influence, influences in your life. Uh, going back to your, your leadership traits and, and the things you stand for, I mean, you are obviously someone who people seek out your perspectives. And, and that's not just because of your coaching acumen and your successes and, and, and your leadership, but it's also things that you stand for. And you have been, no question, very vocal and and that you have stood for a lot, especially as it relates to this summer. You know, when we think back on the last few months, going all the way back to the, the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, people have, you know, you have stood up for many things as it relates to the, the racial injustices in this country, the social reform that has taken place since. I want to ask you this, though. Of those coaching peers, friends, players, colleagues, what have they sought out? What perspectives and feedback and education have they sought out from you? What have you, what have you told them? You know, what have they been seeking out from you this summer particularly? I think the thing, um, I, I like to think on the surface, but you don't really know that I, I don't necessarily have enemies in, in, in our profession. Uh, I'm, I'm not a guy that spent a lot of time, you know, gossiping about somebody else and, 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 and using somebody's name in a bad way because I just don't have time for that. Uh, I, I think I'm a guy that's transparent. You, you, you kind of see my life, I, my struggles, uh, you know, diagnosed with cancers, knee surgeries, all this stuff growing up in East St. Louis. My, my brother spending time in prison. My mom, the things she dealt with growing up. So, so people have seen it on full display. And it's not that it, that's something I advertise, but it's just something that's real. So I just think people feel comfortable because I don't have any angles. Uh, it's what it is, whether you want to hear it or not, whether you like it or not. And I think people know and understand I am who I am. I'm from East St. Louis, and I represent that 100%. But also, I love all people. I, I don't have, I don't have any hate in my heart. My mom never raised me to have that, so I don't have that in my heart. So when I speak, I'm speaking life, and I'm speaking about us as a people. And it just, it saddens me when we as a society, you know, we we talking about you know, Black Lives Matter and this stuff going on. All you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. You have so many things that are going on, and it's 
is almost as if we're at war with another country, but we're all on American soil, which, which when you sit back in your household, you sit there and say, all the stuff that's going on, we're talking about our own country. We're talking about a race of people that, that have been on this, this country together. And we have all this division. And, and I, I just think, for me, there's a lot of things, but I think what we have to do, because I, I, I've, I've prayed many nights to God and just kind of say, you know, God, if you can intervene, because it's exhausting when, when you feel the fight. Just, you go back to Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X, you go back to the fight that they put up. And it's like, man, can you imagine? And, and I went back and I read Martin Luther King's book and his daughter, his oldest daughter, she wasn't a year old the first time he had his house bombed. She wasn't, and I think it was in Montgomery, Alabama. She wasn't a year old and he ended up having four children. He could have bailed out after that first bombing on his house and said, I, I, no more, I'm going back to Atlanta. He ended up having four kids and he stayed in the fight. Resiliency, perseverance, determination to see equality, that is power, that is strength. So who am I in struggling in a basketball game? Who am I when what that man went through and what his family went through on a day-to-day basis and the strength of his wife? Because you have to get credit. Though he was out in the front lines, they go hand in hand. I don't think one is better than the other because the strength for her to stay at home when nobody's there to be sound in our decision makes, but also to give him the strength to keep pushing forward. I'm with you. Man, can, that would have brought me to my knees just even thinking about it to this day. So, so I go back to it. And then I say, it's like, and I, and I heard a pastor say, I think Bishop T.D. Jake said this. He said, there's an older person inside of you that is counting on you to do the right thing. So for me, if I don't do it now, then who am I? And I think that's what we have to think about. I, just, I said to my, my two sons, and one, he'll be 23 in no, August, and my other one, he'll be 19 in November. And I said to those guys, and this might have been you know three or four weeks ago, I just said, guys, I, I don't know if I'll be on this earth uh, to see true equality. And, and I, I didn't say it as if I'm worried about you know, my life being threatened, but I just said, because you're probably talking about a 70-year wealth gap when it comes to the black community that we're behind. And it's not by our fault that we didn't do anything. We, we tried to work hard, but there were so many systematic things that were set up where we couldn't get ahead. So I said to my sons, I have to, I have to get in the trenches and, and battle for equality. And I'm not sure what that means, and I'm not sure how much, if I'll be around, but I, I said, I'm hopeful that God willing, if I have grandkids, that they can see, man, and not to say, look what my granddad did, look what he was a part of, not, not any of that, but we tried to make change. And I, I think the beautiful thing about it, when I saw the recent protests, uh, you had just as many white Americans out there battling. And that was a beautiful sight to see that. And I said, you know, I, I, I thank God, I said, thank you. Of course, we got ways to go, but we're making progress. What's been the biggest thing this summer that has encouraged you about the direction we're going as it, as it pertains to social reform? I think everybody's on board. Now, again, you're not going to change everybody. You're not going to do that. Um, you, we have to talk about tough issues. I, I, think, I think universities are doing a great job of understanding that we, we need to do something. And some have been better than others, but we need to do something. I think Fortune 500 companies understand we need to do something. So that part is great. Everybody's trying to do their part. We have to be aggressive in our approach, but we also have to be patient because it doesn't happen overnight. 
because there always be bumps in a road and, and there always be somebody to give a level of resistance. You have to be strong. And, and I think the most important thing when you're talking about a movement, the power comes in the truth. That's the movement. If it's the truth. So we, we can agree or disagree on anything, but the truth is the truth. And I think we have to understand that part. So, so for me, I've been, I've been, very encouraged, but just, just here on our campus, I think our administration are doing a tremendous job of trying to battle and fight to make things right and make things better. And it doesn't know happen overnight, but as long as you put forth a, a sincere effort, I think we're making progress. Well, and, and you're doing it too with your voice, your actions, the, McClend- the what you're doing with the NABC, the McClendon Foundation, the Minority Leadership Initiative, so on and so forth. All right, St. Louis, how you're from East St. Louis. You've got many players on your roster from St. Louis. How gratifying is it to go back there, recruit players from in and around your hometown, get to coach them, get to grow them? It's good, you know. But uh, and and I would have said as a as a young guy in this thing, I, I would have said it's great. But now I say it's good, and the reason why I say it's good, the great part comes for me when they're done playing. Whether they be a pro, okay, great. Um, uh, our job is to put you in position to be an NBA player. That's your goal. But I always said, our guys, I'm not God. I, we can put you in a position. Your work, uh, we have to put you in position, but your work behind it has to prepare you through, not the course situations and all that. But the great part for me nowadays comes in the opportunities to have a successful career in life, and meaning you're done playing great, but what type of career we have? You're CEO of a company, you're CFO of a company, or you're in a position to make decisions in a company. Then for me, that's success, and we've made it because – now there are opportunities because now you can help somebody else. It doesn't necessarily mean whether they're black, but you can help somebody else and you can create opportunities. Because if you're not in position to help somebody else or create opportunities, then I didn't do a very good job of putting you in position to do that. Because, again, in recruiting, mom and dad passed the baton to me. Mm-hmm. I got to pass this baton on, and we cannot drop the baton. And that's how you have to look at it. You said this a couple of years ago, and it, it relates to what you just said there. I think you were speaking at a coach's forum, but you mentioned you've coached at Missouri, Cal, Tennessee, Missouri State. When you were at Cal, you kind of changed the philosophy in how you not just coach when you're, when you're on the court, but, but basically how you work with your players, how you help them achieve success. What was the philosophy change? Well, what happened uh... – I think I've been blessed to coach, and I, maybe 54 guys that have completed their eligibility, eligibility, and, and 53 have degrees. Uh, and, and the one guy I'm still, I'm still seeking, and and I, I just, matter of fact, I just three days ago had three of his teammates to try to get his information because he's on Facebook to try to get his information so I can talk to him to try to get that. And he's he was at Missouri State. He was a good guy. But we got to make sure he get it. Uh, not not to say we have a 100% record, but to make sure he get it because that's what he should do. But, you know, I was taught, you know, by Coach Katie and any of my mom, you know, you go to college, you get a degree. The basketball part, that was what it was. But if you get a degree, and I got a degree from Purdue University, which is a tough school, man. I'm not scratching claw for that. So I'm proud about that. But then in coaching, you know, guys getting a degree, and, and you thought that was enough. But when I got to Cal Berkeley, I realized just getting a degree was not enough. Coach, I need some assistance to, to, to be able to intern or – for someone to make a call so I can get the job. Because in most cases with athletes, you have very intelligent guys, but you might have an athlete graduate with a 2.7, 2.8, with a competition as a 3.9. Well, I'm probably not getting a job in a competition, I had the opportunity to do a lot of community service work. And we do stuff as a team, but they're involved over here. They did this and did that because they had the time. 
well, we played our sport, which is really a job. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have the time to do other things. So my experience at Cal Berkeley helped me understand the importance of not only a degree, but the value and the opportunities of helping that student athlete to get the job so they can have a successful career. And just adamant about what are we doing? How can we help this young man or this young lady get a job and opportunity, especially people of color, because those opportunities don't really present themselves. So we have to, we have to give an extra push. We have to make an extra call. So here's a qualified person that'll do a great job in your company. I've said it all the time and people understand this when they have athletes working their company, they have a relentless work ethic. They, they, they understand what it means to struggle. They understand uh, what it means to have camaraderie because they've been a part of a team. They, they understand what it means when they fail because me, for example, I, I got an F on an exam in college. Not to say I got many of them, but I got an F on an exam. I could bounce back because I've been through that. So now when I'm working in a company, I've seen what that looked like. I've, I've missed big shots in the game, the struggles. Oh, man, you messed up. Well, I know what that pain feels like to bounce back and keep coming. Right. One thing about an athlete, they have a level of resiliency uh, and toughness to them to keep pushing forward when times get hard. You mentioned this to me a little while back, and, and it really stuck with me. And, and I want to bring it up now. St. Louis, we, we've talked about how much your hometown means to you. You still have family there. Uh, you, you have mentioned this in the past. At some point down the road, you, you've, you've kind of got ideas about how can I impact that community, St. Louis, you know, my hometown, more so than, than what I'm doing right now. What, what are some of the, the thoughts, the blueprints, the, the plans that you have when the, when, when the coaching career far down the line is over? What what do you want to do to impact your, your hometown, that community, to better it? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Just, just so many things. Uh, you, you know, the one thing is, and I say this jokingly, but I'm serious when I say it. Uh, somewhere on, on my tombstone, uh, I wanted to say East St. Louis, somewhere. It, it has to say that. And my kids, they laugh and joke. My wife and I talk about East St. But it, but they have to say that somewhere. Uh, because I take a tremendous amount of pride in that. Uh, I think what, what COVID has done, because of the time off, it, it allowed me to pour into it more, to think more, to put the pen to the paper more. How can I help? Uh, what type of initiatives can we present, uh, opportunities for our youth? Uh, and and, I, and I, again, I've talked to superintendents on, on different things we can do in the communities. Um, I, I think I want to be, uh, you know, I've, I've said, you know, in some capacity, not necessarily, you know, NCA president, those sorts of things, because I want to be a part of the change, but, but I don't necessarily need credit and, and, and it's not necessarily titles, but, but I want to be a part of the change. So that way I could slumber better when it's all over. So now my sleep is better because I know I've helped the less fortunate people in those socioeconomic areas that struggle. Mm -hmm. I've, I was a part of the assisting. And again, it could be behind the scenes because I don't care about the other stuff, but that makes me feel good because it's, from, from where I sit, I'm grateful to sit here. It's, but there's still a part of me that, man, those kids in East St. Louis and even on the St. Louis side, their struggles, uh, you know, the violence in, in some of our communities, how can we make that better? And I think that is the most important thing. How can we make that part better? Because I, I think the people that are a part of decision-making have to understand one of the better ways to increase the violence is to create opportunities. We have to create opportunities in those environments because, again, rarely do you ever find somebody successful in life just going around robbing and doing bad things because they're successful. They already have that. So 
we have to do a better job in those communities of giving opportunities so we don't have to do that. And now all of a sudden everybody has a better life because there's no, there's no better feeling. And I'm speaking for me as a man and as a father to be able to provide for my family. And my wife was, is a very intelligent woman. She was in the corporate world for 15 years. So she's an intelligent woman. So I'd say it on the other side, but woman is a provider. But for me as a man, there's no better feeling to be able to provide for my family and to see the respect that my family has for me as their provider it makes me feel good. So now can you imagine as a father who loses a job and looking for jobs and doesn't have opportunities and he goes home and, and his, 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 his wife doesn't see him at the level of respect. And this is how he feels because he can't provide for his family the way he needs to. So then how do you expect me to provide for my family if I can't have a job and opportunity, which I've applied for jobs and jobs and jobs, and I keep getting turned down. That's a hard feeling. So now how do I resort to providing for my family? So I think we have to be diligent and deliberate about opportunities to help, especially, and again, I'm saying this with all due respect, I love all walks of life, but we have to be diligent in helping the black man with opportunities because it seems as if the black man has been criticized and, and, and beat down for so long and we have to find a way to make that better. Yeah. Righteous, noble stuff, which is not a surprise from you. Coach, you got to go in, in about a minute or so. All right, the last one. We got basketball returned last night. Did, did you watch? Or, or better yet, you've got a couple former – I think Jalen Brown is in the bubble. You, Josh Richards, you got a couple – you have a, be, a great story from the bubble from these guys? Not yet. You know, Jalen Brown, <laughs> Josh Richardson, uh, John Tate Porter, Michael Porter. You're talented guys when it just uh, – you know, it's just it's just a blessing to be a part of those guys because not only that, you're talking about very intelligent guys, and mm -hmm. and all those guys would, in my opinion, would have been successful without basketball. Those guys are, are game changers, life changers. Uh, but but again, those guys had great parents at home, so they understand they have balance. Uh, you, you watch how those guys speak in in, in our community, not afraid to talk about things, even if it's uncomfortable for some. But highly respect the guys, and, and those guys would be game changers in our world. But 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 no stories yet. Plus, you know, Kev, I would I wouldn't reveal them like that. Those guys would beat me up, so I couldn't reveal any stories they had it for me. So no, but it, it's been good. And I, I actually watched about five minutes of LeBron and those guys game last night, but I videotaped the game before that. And that one, so hopefully I can get it done by this weekend. It is good to have basketball back. You've got some of your players back on campus practicing safely, that is. And, and we're all kind of full steam ahead. And so fingers crossed with everything. But, hey, Conzo, I know you got to run, Coach. It was a pleasure talking with you. Conzo Martin, head men's basketball coach at Missouri, uh, influential leader, cancer survivor. Coach, thanks for the time. Thank you for having me, Kip. Take care, man. Hey, so thanks again for listening to One on One this week. Really thoughtful, fascinating stuff from Conzo, which is no surprise. Goes without saying, he's just an impactful leader in the college basketball world whose voice and perspectives are sought out by many of his coaching peers, players, so on and so forth. So go follow Conzo on Twitter, at Conzo Martin. That's C-U-O-N-Z-O. -O. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week on One on One.